Abraham is a paradigm of faith in our life, right? We've talked about how he parallels faith and he's, our, he's kind of what we look to to learn about faith in our lives. And that's a true statement. There's another thing about Abraham that's also true, and that's he was a friend of God. And one of the things that made him such a great person for us to follow is that he is a friend of God. And even when he makes mistakes, he never stops being a friend of God. And that's part of it. So my question is, what makes a friend? In fact, I want you to think about your best friend. And if I were to ask you, uh, tell me about your best friend. Why are you friends? Just think about your answer there. I'm not going to ask for anybody to give their answers. But I've done this. I've asked a lot of people this. And I usually get things like, well, we can talk about anything. You know, that's something that I get from best friend. Or sometimes they get, well, I don't know, we've just known each other for such a long time. You know, it's like we have this long history together. I guess that's what makes them my best friend. And these are all true. You know, and if you think about it, you've got these friends in your life and there are certain things that you do with them and, and certain characteristics of that friend. And uh, so my question is, is God your friend? Are you a friend of God? And if so, what's different? Are there things that you do with your friends, your besties, that you wouldn't do with God? I'm not talking about sinful things. Of course, you know, we know about those friends. I'm talking about just in general. Are there things you would do with your friends that you just never really thought about God in that, that light before? And I, I want to tell you that he literally calls you his friend. That's what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, you used to be my servants, but now I call you my friends. And he wants to be your friend. He spoke to, about Moses. He says, there'll never be a man like Moses. I spoke to him face to face as one does to a friend. You understand this is what God wants from you. We kind of use the term relationship. We throw that you know, relationship with God, which guys hate because guys don't do relationships, right, guys? I got, I got friends. I don't mean, I'm not in a relationship with any of them. And, but, but it's a kind of, you know, we, we talk that term relationship, and it has such connotation to it. But there's another term, which is friendship, which is used in the Bible. Are you a friend of God? And if so, what marks that? What, how do you know you're a friend of God? So I'm going to talk uh, today about a friend of mine, tell you a story about a friend of mine. And it's not going to surprise you any to find that most of my friends are weird, okay? I don't know why. I guess birds of a feather. So um, this, is a, this is a guy who, who is too chicken to show up in church today. Uh, uh, he told me some lame excuse about his son was deploying, and he had to deliver him to the, to the Air Force. Okay. But Ed Hinchy, he's usually here. He's in the back usually, sitting right by Emily. But um, so Ed and I have been friends for a very, very long time. High school, back to high school, which for me is a very, very long time ago. Uh, so anyway, when I was still young, and we were both young, but I was a little bit, out, we were out of high school. I was in my late 20s. I was married, but my wife at the time was on a business trip. And Ed decides, I'm going to come out and visit you. Now, when he says he's going to come out to visit you, understand I was living at the time in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and he was still here. And when he says, I'm coming out to visit you, he didn't mean on a plane. He jumped on his motorcycle, rode, rode a thousand miles, to, to see, and it wasn't a good motorcycle either. It, had, it didn't have, it usually have like, they have cruise control, not his. He didn't have a fairing on it really. This thing, I can't imagine. When he got to my house, he couldn't shut his hand for three days because it, it's been open the throttle the whole time, you know. And I don't think he had feeling in his thumb for like a month after that. But he comes out and it takes him a day or so to get over the road shock. And then he says that thing that friends say to each other, that usually pre, are, are precursors to stories, uh, it's, hey, you know what we should do? You know, you guys know, this is, this is where it starts. And you know what we should do? And I said, no, Ed, what should we do? He said, we should go to the Grand Canyon. I said, why should we do that? He said, because I've never been this close. I said, Ed, we're in Tulsa, Oklahoma. 
you're still not close. We're like <laughs> over a thousand miles away still. And his logic was, it's closer than I am at home, right? And that's good enough logic for a friend, right? Because I went, okay, can't argue with that. It would have been the same, by the way, if we'd been in Dayton, Ohio. You could have said the same thing. I've never been this close. True, you know, never been this close when you were in Monroeville either. But we're sitting here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and for some reason, this logic carries the day. So we rent a Cadillac because he wanted a Cadillac, and we drive, of course we drive, because what else are you going to do, to the Grand Canyon. We have no planning, we have no thought, except let's hike down to the bottom, stick our feet in the river, and then hike back up. How hard can it be, right? How long could it take? Let's go do this. So we're driving out there, and it occurs to me, and I don't have boots or hats or candy. Well, you don't need that stuff. I said, I think I do. I think I should have a hiking boot or something. Okay, if you have to. So we pull over as we get closer to one of these, you know, stores where they sell. And I'm going, because I'm a geek, I go by and I'm picking up all these pamphlets, you know, and I'm reading about this adventure we're about to go on. I'm like, oh my God, we're nowhere near ready for this, you know. People plan for these things and, oh, we're okay, we're all good. So my supplies consisted of this, this hat, this one pair of boots I bought. Uh, and some dried fruit, because I thought we might need that on our trip, you know. And I also not pictured, bought a canteen, which Ed thought was silly. I've got water. And he held up a flask. Do you remember those leather flasks that Spencer's Gifts used to sell? I mean, it's like, I don't even know how much water you can put in there. It's almost like a novelty gag. That's what he was taking with him. I said, I think I'll get my own canteen. So I got a canteen. And then, because the pamphlets told me so, I bought these pellets that you could use to purify water. He said, what do you need that for? I said, well, in case we need to purify water. Oh, that's dumb. Okay, so we bought all this stuff. We go into town. Well, unbeknownst to us, George Herbert Walker Bush, who was the President of the United States at the time, let you know how long ago this was, um, was there. And he was signing a Clean Air Act into law. And because of that, Secret Service had bought every hotel in Flagstaff. We couldn't get a, we couldn't get a room. We had to go all the way out of town to this really dive to, to stay in a hotel. But they also closed down half the Grand Canyon. Now, I don't know how you close half of the Grand Canyon, but they did it. And they closed all the good trails because he was going to walk down them. You know, him and his Secret Service, the Secret Service donkeys, were all going to go down. I guess they have little sunglasses for those donkeys. And they're all going to go down. So we couldn't go down that trail. Uh, the only trail left to us was, I believe it's called the, the Mission Hermit Trail. And uh, it was considered an intermediate to advanced trail because I'm looking at it in the pamphlet. And I was like, intermediate to advanced. He says, well, that's us. I said, that's us? You know? He said, yeah, yeah. I said, are you, are you sure you've ever hiked before? He said, no, but look around you. Look at all these, all these buses of senior citizens. That's what they mean by beginners. We're young. You know, we're healthy. We could do that. So I said, okay, that's, that sounds right. You know, cause so, so we're going to go down this intermediate to advanced trail. Okay, so we, we you know, sleep badly the night before. We get there. We're getting ready for our, our, uh, our trip down. Now I'm going to show you a picture, and I'm going to tell you about these pictures. So this is us, right, this, way back then. Um, now, full disclosure here, I couldn't find my Grand Canyon pictures because we've moved so many times, so I texted Ed. And I say, hey, do you have any pictures? He says, sure, I'll send you some. So this is what he sends me, right? He looks like the nephew of Tom Selleck here. And, and I look like I wandered away from my acapella group in Disney World and like, like oh, you know, from high school or something. It's like, thanks, Ed. Thanks for those pictures. Uh, this was actually taken the night before we went down because um, uh, I was wearing shorts the day of. So this is us. So we're getting ready. This is the flask, by the way, that, that had our water supply as far as he was concerned. That's what you see there. So anyway, so we're getting ready to go down this thing. And so we start down. And um, I'm watching my watch, and I'm watching the sun, and he thinks I'm being silly because in the pamphlet it said, this trail is so steep, you need to account for twice as long to get back out 
as it takes to get down. <laughs> so I'm watching my watch because I realize I can multiply that by two to get back out. The other thing about the Grand Canyon you have to understand is um, it's basically an oven. It's a reflective oven. When we started up there, it was like 90 degrees. But as you go down the path, the sun is beating off the rocks and reflecting. It's getting hotter and hotter. And it's like you're going down levels of hell, right? So we're going down these big canyons and everything. And we're having a good time at first. You know, these two travelers were adventurers. And we're going down these, these intermediate to advanced people. And we're going down. But man, did we go through our water fast. By the way, the pamphlet said one gallon per hour per person. <laughs> yeah, so we're in trouble. So we're going down. But that's okay because they had water kind of, sort of. And these little tiny, they'd have these little shacks and things. You'd go in there and it would tell you if it's potable water or non-potable water. And going down, it seemed like you had a lot of potable. That means you can drink it. And then they started getting these non-potables where you would need those magic little pills. And uh, you could see this pipe coming up. That's what it was. It was a pipe coming out of the mountain. And you'd like fill up your, your, your water from there. And I was glad I had the non, those pills because we got to the point where we ran out of all the water. And we got in one of these shacks, and there's this family in there. They had backpacks. You know, they had done it right. So you guys going down to the river? And they said, no, we're coming back up from the river. I look at my watch, it's like, oh, it's 2 o'clock. When did you guys start? 6 a.m. <laughs> I go, okay. I pulled that aside. They started at 6 a.m. They're only where we are now. And we've been traveling for a couple hours now. I figure it'd be about 6 p.m. for us to get out of here. He's, oh, we can make it up faster than that, you know? <laughs> We're young. This family, they got young kids with them. That's why it took them so long. So we hiked down another mile, uh, another hour after that, down the hill. Uh, so do the math. We're now looking at an 8 p.m. exit from the Grand Canyon. And we get there because Ed wanted to at least get to see the river, but we never did. We never made it that far because it's a good By the way, you need to get a permit to do what we were doing. You're not allowed down there because they have to know to, to rescue you later if you don't make it back out, which as it turns out is a very real possibility, not a bad idea. But they weren't accepting any permits that day anyway because of the president. So anyway, so we get down there and I said, Ed, we're going to have to turn around. He's okay, okay. And so we start back up. Well, it is a lot harder walking back up that hill than it was walking down. It was fun and games down, back up. It was a hike. And we went through all our water really fast. In fact, we got to the point where we had to go off the trail to find, because I had a little map of all the water sources to find this little tiny <laughs> stinking creek. And I mean stinking. And uh, we filled up the water. We put the tablets in and we drank it anyway. You know, it's like this has to survive us. As we're coming back up the hill, because Ed's dressed all in black, not a good look, by the way, when you're going hiking down the Grand Canyon. Uh, he like, he was soaked. He was just drenched. And his legs start cramping because we can't get enough water and everything else. His legs start cramping. And we're like, we can't even really see the topic. Almost kind of sort of. I said, hey, we got maybe another hour to go. And this literally happened. He's like lying on the, he's lying on the trail. He says, you go, leave me. <laughs> like, what is this? The bridge of a river quiet? Like, oh, come on. You know, we're going to, not going to look like I could carry him or anything, but I'd give him water and I'd, you know, help him up. So we, we were lying there looking up and I thought there was a very real possibility that this is where we're going to stay. Now, I didn't think I was going to die. I never had the thought that I was going to die. But a trip to the hospital was a very real possibility. Because at night, by the way, it changes. It gets very, very cold. And so I thought, if we're stuck in this canyon overnight, and no one knows to look for us, no one's going to be coming up the trail, no one's stupid enough to make this trail in the dark, except us, uh, no one's going to find us till tomorrow. We're not going to have the strength to go looking for water, so we're going to be dehydrated, and hypothermia is a real possibility. So I was actually thinking we may end up in the hospital over this. I don't think we're going to die. I think we'll be, because we are young. I think we're young and stupid. We'll get through this. Uh, but, you know, Ed's cramp went away, and he said, let's try it. So we, like, pull ourselves out. And we're finally getting up to the point where we can see the top of the hill, and they have this 
this re re refreshment stand there. And this to me was just really, really funny because here's two Pittsburgh boys all the way over the Grand Canyon and we see a sign for Isley's ice cream. And this is what we see. It says, what would you do for a Klondike bar? And I was like, well, <laughs> I guess we know. We'd climb out of the Grand Canyon for a Klondike bar. So we actually got all the way out. Uh, we bought the Klondike bars and ate them. And we're like, man, thank God we made it out of there. Because it was really touch and go there for a little while. But here's the thing. I have all these pictures. Ed has all these pictures. And for the longest time, we had them in books, like parallel books. And we would tell this story over and over and over again. And we got good at it. You know, we would fill in the parts and stuff, and we would tell these stories. And we had people laughing through the whole thing. We had this little, sh little road show that we would do. And they'd go, oh, tell us the story of the Grand Canyon. And we would do this. Flash forward a couple years from there, uh, Ed Hinchy gets married to Tammy. You guys know Tammy. And uh, he decides he's going to plan their honeymoon. And uh, in return for that, she gets to plan their first year anniversary trip they're going to take together. That was the deal, right? Now, they end up going to Alaska, and I'm sure that that started with Ed saying, you know what we should do? We should go to Alaska. But anyway, they, they, so that was the trip. But the year later, when it was it, Tammy's turn, she goes, my turn now. She's like real excited. He was surprised how excited she was. He said, yeah, what do you want to do? And she doesn't know exactly what to do. She goes, run in the next room. He's like, what? She has like pamphlets or something? She comes back in with a photo album. She puts it down, opens up, and she points to the picture of us coming out of the Grand Canyon. And she goes, I'm going to do that. He says, this is what you want to do? He said, hold on, hold on. They call me. <laughs> and because I'm still, you know, out west. And he says, you're never going to believe this. Guess where my wife wants to go for her anniversary? I said, I have no idea. And she, she's, she's in the background. I can hear her laughing. She wants to go to Grand Canyon. I said, why? Why would she? And I said, hey, Tammy, why? Like, you know, and she says, because it always sounded so fun. I said, what part of we almost died sounded <laughs> fun to you? I don't understand. But of course it sounded fun. You know why? Because friends laugh about things, don't we? I mean, some of, the, some of the best stories start out this, and they end up with an I almost died, don't they? I mean, so, don't, don't we have these stories where we tell with our friends, and we laugh about it, no matter how stupid the story was, no matter how crazy, but it's like we're laughing about it now because we didn't die. Friends laugh together, so that's my question to you, all of that for this. Do you laugh with God? Do you share laughs with God? Do you have those moments when you just laugh? And maybe you grew up in a church like I grew up in that like love this the scripture from Ecclesiastes, I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth, what does it accomplish? I mean, that's kind of the church I grew up in. It almost seemed like if you smiled or laughed in church, you weren't taking it serious enough, right? We're supposed to suffer in church for crying out loud, you know? We're supposed to, we're supposed to know that we're coming there to suffer. And, and we're, we're pitiful, woeful servants, and we have to keep our eyes down, and we have to be somber. And you don't laugh in church. You, you take church seriously. And that's kind of how I grew up. But didn't God give us laughter as a gift? I mean, it, laughter isn't sinful, is it? Now, there can be sinful laughter. I know that. You can laugh at somebody's misfortune or something like that. That's sinful laughter. I get that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about pure laughter. I'm talking about laughter that, that's almost instinctive. And you know laughter is instinctive, don't you? Because no one has to be taught to laugh. You don't have to teach a baby to laugh. That's one of the greatest sounds in the world, isn't it? A baby laughing. And uh, there's whole YouTube videos of babies laughing at dogs, by the way. It's just fun to watch sometimes. In fact, Victoria had to have blood taken recently, and she doesn't like needles, so I popped up a video of babies laughing at dogs, you know. <laughs> Here, watch this, because it's just fun. Actually, God gave us laughter as a gift. 
You know what? God laughs because you are created in his image. You have emotions because he has emotions. God gets angry and God laughs. And God's your friend. And don't you laugh with your friends? Shouldn't we be laughing our friends? I just, just want to show you, some of you guys know this. In fact, Reader's Digest has a section called Laughter is the Best Medicine. Some of you guys remember Reader's Digest, as old as me. But uh, the laughter is the best medicine. They, that came out because they clinically have proven that laughter helps you. Let me just show you some things that have been clinically proven about laughter. It improves the heart rate. It increases your immune system function. It lowers your blood pressure. It reduces stress hormone production. And my favorite one on the list is increased sali salivary flow because, you know, you've got to be able to spit. You've got to have that. Uh, laughter's good for that. It elevates pain tolerance. They actually found out that kids in children's hospital who are going to go into hospital, they show them funny cartoons, and they actually have a faster recovery rate from the, from the, from the uh, surgery. Uh, and it also increases relaxation, of course, right? God gave us this gift, and we have to understand that he expects us to use it, and, he, and why do we keep him out of it? We have no problem coming to God with our tears, right? We've got something bad in our life, we come. We have no problem, some of us come to God with our anger. Things aren't going the way we want, we have no problem with that. But when we laugh, we keep him out. We never laugh with God, it seems. It seems like we're not taught to laugh with God. But I believe the Bible's full of these kind of stories. And one of them, believe it or not, takes place in our story that we've been on about Abraham. Because I'm going to call this the last laugh. I think this is God just showing who, that he's got a huge sense of humor. And this happens. So we've been following Abraham. We're finding a moment that we've been waiting for since we started this. This is the 12th week. So we've been on this for 11 weeks now, waiting for this moment. Because 11 weeks ago, we've started this Genesis you know, story with Abraham. God said, follow me. I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And he had no kids. 25 years have passed. Abraham is now 100 years old. His wife is younger. She's 90. She's a mere young spring chicken of 90. And finally, they're going to have this baby. So that's what we're going to pick up here now in Genesis 21. The Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time. So in other words, God says, I'm not late. This is exactly the time I meant for you to have this child. So this is like, this to me is just showing you God's sense of, as a sense of humor. I wait till you were 100 to give you this child. The appointed time. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah had born. The Bible's being very specific here. It's not that other child that he had with another woman. It's the child, the promised child, the child of promise. He calls him Isaac. That's funny. And we don't understand that because we don't speak Hebrew. Let me tell you what Isaac translates to. He who laughs. That's great. You know why that's great? If you remember, when God first came to Abraham, after, after they, they give birth to Ishmael, and he's like saying, just, just bless Ishmael. I'm never going to have a baby with Sarah. And God says, no, you're still going to have a baby, and it's going to be with Sarah. This was 10 years ago, right? The Bible tells us Abraham fell down laughing. He laughed in God's face and fell down laughing. He was laughing so hard, he fell over, right? God doesn't even yell at him for it. He's not even upset. I think God's probably laughing too. It's funny. It is funny. I know you can't see it, but I can see it. Probably helped him up, dusted him off. Okay, Abraham. Don't worry. It's still going to happen. After that, nine years later, he comes back to Abraham to tell him, you know what? It's going to happen within one year. He gives him a date. That was, that was last week's sermon. I'm going to give you a date. And within one year, you're going to have a child. 
Sarah hears this while she's sitting inside the tent, and she laughs. Wouldn't you? Like she's 89 years old. Wouldn't you laugh? Yeah, one year you have a baby. Can you imagine? I mean, some of you women, there are not, there's no one here who's 89, but some of you, can you imagine if God said, in one year you're going to have a child? You know, you're either going to laugh or you're going to cry. It's like only one or the other, right? And so here's point. And so, but she's wanted a child her whole life. She's 89. She's not going to have a child. She laughs, and God hears her. So is Sarah laughing? Sarah says, oh, I didn't laugh. He says, yeah, you did. He doesn't yell at her. He says, no, you laughed. I heard you. It's okay. God isn't mad at her. And so here comes the child being born. What do they name him? He who laughs. What a great name, right? He who laughs, laughs. He who laughs, laughs, laughs best. I think this is really what they're saying about him. God gets the last laugh on all of us because here's a, here he is. Here's the child. Now, you know, in the Bible, names mean things. So I picture Abraham as just one of these joyful kids. You ever meet one of these kids just happy all the time, you know, giggling and laughing, kind of like that kid there? I think that's what Isaac was because he's going he's to live up to his name. I think he was probably one of these people you just want to be around, right, because they're just laughing all the time. So he says that, now in case you think I'm making too much out of it, I want you to see what Sarah says as soon as I bring my presentation back up. Okay, what I want to show you what Sarah actually says here. Now Abraham's going to circumcise him on the eighth day. That's going to start a tradition which is still held through this day. And Sarah said this, God has made laughter for me. He's not laughing at me. He has made laughter for me, right? Isaac is a source of laughter. And everyone who hears will laugh with me. We're all going to laugh about this. This is glorious. We're going to have a great time laughing about this forever. Because he did what he said he would do. Who would have said that Abraham would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? It's okay. It's okay that you share your life with God, right? That includes your laughter. I just think we need to somehow focus a little more on being God's friend. Now, I know God, we, we have a complicated relationship with God because he's many things to us. He's our savior, yes. He's our judge. I get that, right? He is a, he's an all-powerful creator of the universe, Lord of heaven and earth. He's all those things, but he's also your friend. And he wants you to call him friend. And friends laugh together. Friends have moments, they get together, and they said, remember that time? God remembers that time, Right? And I'm not saying that you, we, we would recount our sinful stuff. I, I'm just simply saying there are times, even it came out of our sinful stuff, that God saved us when he probably shouldn't have, and we were really in a bad way, and we're not anymore. And it's funny because we didn't die. It's funny because that didn't happen. It's funny because God stepped in. It's okay to laugh with God. I'm going to actually show you some scriptures here to back this up. Jesus actually promises this in the Beatitudes. He said, Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. He's actually, this is the blessing. He says, there's going to come a time you're going to laugh. I'm going to bring laughter back to you. He actually promises that. In fact, the Psalms tells us it's evidence of God in your life. The Psalmist says this in Psalm 126. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. And then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. How do they know God did great things? Because they're laughing and singing. It's supposed to actually be like part of our personality. The people look at them, but they must, something's going on over there. Look at them, they're laughing and they're singing. See, we're, we're, we're supposed to be joyful and we're supposed to share that joy with our Lord. This is what he wants us to have. Joy brings about laughter. It does. The, the Proverbs tells us this. This is kind of an interesting verse that some of you know, but um, it kind of completely backs up all that stuff we found out about laughter. A joyful heart's good medicine. 
Yeah. A joyful heart's good medicine. But watch, a broken spirit dries up the bones. Do you know something like that? You hate being around them because you just, oh my God, I've got to go around them again. It's just going to like, I, 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 there's such a darkness over them, right? Everything gets turned into, I've, I've met people, of course, when you're a pastor, you meet these people all the time because they're coming up with, can you top this? You know, they come up with a list of things going wrong in their life. And no matter what you say, they have something worse on top of that. It's like, oh, it's depressing to talk to them, right? You don't want to hang around that. But I guess maybe some people do because they seem to always have people hang around. Misery loves company, they say. But, but isn't laughter better company? Isn't there some in your life that you know I can go with them and just get away from my problems because we're going to have a good time? Again, I'm not talking in a sinful way. I'm just simply saying you, we all know these people. It's like, man, when I get with them, it's just what a, what a great time. You know? And that should be your Christian friends. Why isn't it? Because a lot of us are afraid to laugh. For some reason, we feel like we're not taking God seriously enough. If we laugh, well, as C.S. Lewis put it, joy is the serious business of heaven. You know, that is actually, he's, he's I'm coming to bring you joy. And, and uh, Jeremiah, he says this through his prophet. And he's actually telling them they're going to go back to Jerusalem and it's going to be, and they're saying, we don't even want to go back to Jerusalem. It's a, it's a, have you been there? It's a depressing place. I don't want to go back to Jerusalem. He says this through his prophet. He says, um, thus says the Lord, in this place of which you say it's desolate, there shall again be heard the voice of joy, the voice of gladness the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, and the voice of those who say, praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. It will happen again, he says. The laughter will return to you. The singing will happen. It's okay to laugh. And it's really okay to laugh with God. And I don't think you necessarily even have to be completely theologically correct when you do that. Uh, the story, I've, I've actually told this story before, but a few years ago, um, we were running like mad, which is like, that's every year since we opened the church, but we're coming up to Christmas Eve, right? And um, we had some problems, uh, like we seem to always have technical <laughs> issues here. It's a problem with the technical church. And uh, we were dealing with them up to like the last moment. And it's Christmas Eve. It's the day of Christmas Eve. And uh, Victoria was uh, just a little bit down. And she didn't tell me why, but I could guess. And because we'd just been running like mad. And... Um, she, unbeknownst to me, uh, went to her room and was crying before the Lord. And she says, look, God, I know that we work hard for the church, and I know that we're supposed to do this. <sighs> but I haven't had a new Christmas outfit in years. And other people are going to come to Christmas Eve tonight, and they're going to put on a brand new Christmas outfit and come. And I don't get one. And I'm trying not to complain about that. But it's hard. You know, I, I'm going to have to wear the same thing I wore last year or the year before because I haven't had one for a while. It would be so nice if I could have a Christmas dress, but I can't, and in fact, I'm all alone. And she was all alone because I had just left the house. And I told her, I have to go to a sound check before we do this thing tonight to make sure everything's working. So now she's all alone, and the only thing she can do uh, is paint her nails. That's how she's going to get ready for Christmas. She was going to paint her fingernails. And we had grabbed, or we, she had grabbed a, a bottle of nail polish at the drugstore, we were buying medicine. And that's all she could, that was our shopping you know, for Christmas holidays. And she bought the last red color they had. It wasn't even a color she liked, but she grabbed it. She says, this will have to do. So she goes, I guess all I can do is paint my nails. So she's there painting her nails and crying before the Lord. And what she didn't know was God had poked me in the ribs and said, go buy something for your wife. And I was not coming to the church to check this out. I was rushing out to the mall to buy her something. Now I'd seen her lay out her outfit 
and I saw the pants, and I saw the sweater she had worn two years ago, Christmas sweater. I thought, I might be able to find a Christmas sweater. It's Christmas Eve, maybe not, and you know where we live. There's not a good mall around. All we have is Century 3, and this was a couple years ago, but even then, the only store there worth going to was JCPenney's, and I have a car with JCPenney's, which makes it perfect because that way she wouldn't know how much I paid. So I rush off to the, uh, to the, to the mall, you know, <laughs> dodge the potholes on the way in so I don't lose my car, and I go, and I'm looking for Christmas sweaters. They're all, they're all sold out. They got nothing left. They have a couple smalls and nothing. I'm circling around looking, my, there must be something. Christmas here, it's Christmas Eve, all gone. And there's this one dress that's on a mannequin that I keep passing by, you know. And I finally stop and look at it. I say, well, it's a red dress. I look at it, but it's the wrong color because it's just not the color she normally wears. She's a brunette. She kind of wears the red that kind of tilts towards the burgundies, you know. I know these things somehow. And so I thought, oh, I don't know. This is really not. But I'm getting to the point where there's nothing else. And I got to get back, you know, because you can only check sound for so long. She's going to get suspicious. And, by the way, we have to get here and get set up. And so I thought, okay. Well, the, they didn't have it in her size. So I asked the clerk, can you check that mannequin and see what size that is? And it turns out the mannequin was wearing her dress. So I said, okay, get that off. I'll buy it. So I buy it, check out, go rushing home. Now we're really, really late. And she's coming down the stairs wondering where I am. Now she's under stress because she's got to get here and start setting up. And I come bursting through the door holding a J.C. Penney's bag. There's going to be no surprise at this point, no chance to wrap it. I seem to say, here, put this on, you know. And she goes, what's this? I said, it's something I bought you. And she goes, well, you shouldn't have. I said, well, I know, but I did. You know, go put it on. You know, this, is, this is us before Christmas. <laughs> Just loving couple, get ready to come here and bless you all at church. And so she goes upstairs and she opens it up and she sees it's not a sweatshirt, it's a dress. And she was literally crying out to the Lord, I want a dress. And I couldn't find what I was looking for. All I could find was the dress. It was like on display when I walked in. It should have been bing, 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 mark right here. But I ran around it like 30 times, you know. And so there's this. So she's looking at it and she comes out. She goes, it's a dress. I said, I know it's a dress. I bought it, you know. She goes, thank you. I said, oh, don't thank me, you know. So she goes back in. And um, so she's getting ready. And that's when she realizes the dress exactly matches the color of her fingernail polish perfectly. Like I couldn't have done that in a million years, by the way. And red... You ladies know, that's a hard color to match. It was perfect, right? And she starts crying because she realizes what God just did. Now, what she says next, I'm going to have to explain it, and I don't know if you're going to understand it. I get it. God got it. Victoria gets it. I'll try to set it up so you understand what she says next and why she said it. Um, many, many years ago, when our marriage was not too good, uh, we would have you know, days of fighting, and it would, it would end up to be icy nights. You know, those are some of you people, some of you married people know what I'm talking about. Now, uh, Victoria never wants to have an icy night because she likes to cuddle in bed, even if she's angry with me. She wants to cuddle. In fact, if she could just touch me with her foot, she's okay. But she wants to know there's another presence. In the, not me. If I'm mad, there's a line of demarcation. That's a DMZ zone. I'll stick pillows between us. Don't you touch me. Still mad at you after what you said, right? So she learned that somewhere around 4 or 5 o'clock, she has to start making nice with me if I was going to let her touch me at night, you know, even we're mad and been fighting. And so uh, she, she started like trying to find good things about me to kind of talk about. And I caught on to this. But one thing she would say, like she was talking to a baby or, or a dog, she'd say, who's the best husband? Look what you did. Who's the best husband? She would say this all the time. And I'd say, oh, because at 8 o'clock at night, I guess I am. You know, I know where this is going. You just want, you want to cuddle, buddy. I know what this is about. So that kind of became a thing in our life. And now she does it deliberately to be funny. You know, she, who's the best husband? I always look at the clock when she does, you know, just to check to see if it's me. 
<laughs> and anyway, so what happened when she opens that dress and she looks at it and she puts her nails up against it and realized a perfect match, she said, who's the best father? Who's the best father? And she told me about that later and she goes, I probably shouldn't have said that's probably, I said, God loved it, right? God laughed. You don't think there's laughter in heaven? In fact, I think God was watching this whole thing play out. The angel's sitting there. And he goes, this is really great. He doesn't wait for it. You know, because he knows it's coming, right? Because he knows everything. Wait for it. Who's the best father? That must, that must just have been a great moment in heaven. It's a great moment in her life, right? And this is the kind of joy we need to start sharing with her father. It doesn't matter if it's theologically correct. He knows what the heart is. He knows where your heart is. You don't have to worry about that. He knew where her heart was. And, and he, he loved the fact that she appreciated down to the detail that he took care of that, right? It's okay that we share our joy with our Heavenly Father. If you're going to be friends with God, you're going to have to learn how to let him into your laughter. You are. We have to learn how to laugh with God. Would you all please pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a great...